Just want to say hi. I'm trying to figure this out. I'm, my printer is out of ink at home, so I'm using my wife's uh, iPad. So this is kind of a new thing for me. Um, I mean, those of you who know me probably don't think it's all that odd. Because I've been kind of an Apple geek since the beginning. I don't think I've posted at least two pictures of Steve Jobs on my Facebook profile since his death. So I guess that qualifies me as an Apple geek. All right. So we finished the Hot Topic series, which I frankly think was probably one of the best series we've ever done at SCUM. I preached not even once a month for the summer. <laughs> One of the reasons I think that made it great was that, uh, that, and you know, we had a lot of people who were basically experts in their field come and talk. So I just really want to recommend our website, scumoftheearth.net. If you have not listened to some of those talks about a wide variety of hot topics, you need to go and listen. Most churches don't touch one of those a year. We did them all in one summer. And um, I think uh, it's really, really worth, uh, worth going there. So, sorry. I'm trying to figure out how to do this. Okay. <laughs> so, I'm trying to think then, what are we going to do after something like that? And what I came up with was some... Extremely important scripture passages or scripture concepts that have been an operation that's come with the earth for a long time, since the beginning almost, that we've never really talked about. So if you've been around scum for any length of time, you've heard me talk about walking with a limp. You've heard other people quote me talking about walking with the limp, and I realize I really have never done a sermon about the whole concept of what I mean by walking with a limp. I might have brought it up here and there as a little side point, but never as a main message. And so I, what I thought that we would do is take some of those Scripture passages that are extremely important to the foundation, the ethos of Scum of the Earth Church, and talk about those for a while until we get to the Christmas season. So that's what we're going to do. And so, obviously, the first sermon is about walking with a limp. And... I'd like to just start by going to the Scriptures. Now, for those of you who don't know where that phrase comes from, it comes from uh, the Old Testament. There was a patriarch named Jacob. You have Abraham, who was the father of the faith for all of us. Abraham had a son named Isaac. And Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob was the second of two sons born to Isaac and Rebekah. Uh, Jacob was the second born, but it appeared that perhaps Jacob wanted to be the first born because the scripture tells us that Jacob came out of the womb holding on to the heel of his brother as if trying to pull him back in so that he could get out first because there was a marked blessing for the first born son in an old Hebrew family. So, the name Jacob means literally little heel grabber. 
but it came to be associated with those people who like to supplant those who are in authority over them. Uh, people who are deceptive in their dealings and try to come out ahead. So the name Jacob, Yaakov, in Hebrew has these connotations. And we see them playing out in the life of Jacob because he was always upset that his brother was the oldest and thus would get the blessing of the firstborn. So if you read through Genesis, you'll read the story about he and his mother conspire to literally steal the blessing away from his older brother. He disguises himself, goes into his father, who is hard of seeing and... uh uh, just ends up uh, pretending he's his older brother, and then his father blesses Jacob instead of br- blessing his older brother. Now, you can imagine how this went over with his older brother when the older brother found out. And from what we gather, his older brother was the outdoor rugged type. You know, he was maybe the Bear Gryllis of his day. You know, he would have been the football star. He would have been the guy pumping iron, the guy out shooting his own game, uh, the guy cooking his meat over a fire in the wilderness. Jacob, on the other hand, the Bible tells us, was, and I quote, a man of tents, like to stay inside. Like to do the things you normally do inside. I don't know. For all I know, he could have been a musician. You know, he could have been uh, a video game addict. I, I don't care what. But when you have that kind of a dichotomy in brothers, and the older one is really, really ticked off and pissed at you, and you do something like that, you get the hell out of Dodge. And so what Jacob does is he leaves his father's house, he leaves the promised land of, uh, of Abraham and takes off across the Jordan to go and live with relatives in a far-off place. It's during that flight that he has the famous dream of the stairway that goes to heaven. You know, that song that if you go to a guitar shop, you hear over and over and over again. So some of the guitar shops actually have signs No stairway to heaven allowed. Okay, but that's where that concept comes from. The song has nothing to do with the scriptures beyond the title. But he has that dream going out. And he stays there a long, long time. A long, long time. By the time Jacob is in chapter 32, which is what we're going to read today, he is full of years. He is in his 90s. He has two wives. He has many, many sons. He has herds and flocks and all sorts of worldly wealth that he's swindled out of his uncle, basically. And he's coming back to the promised land where his brother lives. And uh, he's not stupid. He's a pretty smart guy. And so we'll pick up the story there. Genesis 32. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir. 
the country of Edom. He instructed them, This is what you are to say to my lord Esau, that's his brother. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban, that was his uncle, and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I'm sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. Now, can you see what he's doing here? It's called sucking up in modern terminology. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. Oh, man. It's like 400 men. He's got his wives. He's got the maidservants. He's got the flocks. He doesn't have an army. Verse 7, In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. I mean, what do you have to do in order to survive? You end up doing. I mean, this guy is thinking, well, 50% is better than no percent. And so he is dividing everything he has, probably one wife in one camp and one wife in the I don't know how he did it. But he's splitting them up hoping that if at least half survive, he's okay, because his brother is coming with 400 men. Then <laughs> Jacob prayed. Okay, this is great. Then Jacob prayed. I'm going, I can relate to this. I pray when things are terrible. This, that's my motivation. Is that your motivation sometimes? Okay. This is the first recorded prayer of Jacob in the Bible. Just so you know. The other time he's talking about God in the third person. I don't um, think that really counts as a prayer. Prayers are usually second person dialogues, right? Okay, so he prays. And I think that we can understand because we've been in those situations where finally things get so bad, we finally fall to our knees. Verse 9, then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord... You who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed the Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said... I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Now, <laughs> have you ever been in that place in your prayer life where you begin to remind God about his promises that are in the Bible? <laughs> it's like, okay, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Remember that one, God? Remember that um, whoever delights in you gets the desires of their heart? That's me, Okay. You said that, God. I didn't make it up. Okay, so here I am. So, he is 
repeating God's words back to God in hopes that he can gain some kind of leverage on the divine being. I don't know if that works or not, because this is what happens next. (laughs) There's a break there. I didn't go into... He does more stuff to make sure that he's okay with Esau. Okay? Sends more gifts, all that kind of stuff. Back to the story. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. The Jabbok is a tributary of the Jordan. All right? After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. (laughs) This is one of those things about the Bible I do not get, all right? We're going along, we're going along, we're going along. I understand what's happening. All of a sudden, a man wrestles with him until daybreak. It's like Moses should have taken a creative writing course in my university Because, you know, we need some foreshadowing here. You know, we need to know that there's somebody out in the distance that he saw. We need to, at least, there's got to be some kind of premonition that Jacob has had beforehand. Prepare us for this, please. But no. (laughs) This is the way it is. Okay? Just shows up. In some ways, I like that. It feels less contrived. Like it's not creative writing. Like it's just factual reporting. That night, Jacob got up, okay? And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, meaning Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Like, just just touched it. Touched it, you know? Touched it. (laughs) Then the man said, Let me go, for it's daybreak. Or in other words, dude, I got things to do. I got to go. Sun's up. It's time to go to work. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, This is interesting. So far he's been a man. We realize he's a man with some kind of weird power to touch the hip and throw his hip out of joint or strain the muscle or whatever exactly happened there. So Jacob's getting the idea this is no ordinary man. And so I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. So the man asks him, what is your name? Yaakov, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Israel means someone who has struggled with God and someone who has struggled with man. In the Bible, names mean things. This is an upgrade for Jacob. All right? 
It's like when you go to the counter at the budget rent-a-car and they told you you're going to be in this little tiny Kia and instead you get a Lincoln Continental. All right? I mean, it's, it's an upgrade. But still, it's descriptive. It means somebody who struggles with God and somebody who struggles with other humans. And let me ask you a question. Does this name in any way reflect the history of the Jewish people? Oh my gosh. People who struggle with God? Just read the history. Just look at the Gospels. People who struggle with other people? I mean, just open the newspaper. Look at the history books from your high school. So then Jacob goes, well, okay, fine. You got my name? I'm going to get yours because this is a way of gaining some kind of a handle on a dude that's wrestling with him, right? So Jacob says, please tell me your name. But he replies, why do you ask my name? And then he blesses him. Never answers the question. Just blesses Jacob to become Israel. So this is not an equal situation here. We have this stranger, this man, this supernatural somebody who is able to not only do amazing things with a human body by just touching it, but uh, who is able to change your, your name, your character, your destiny by blessing you. So a lot of folks wonder, who is this person? Some people think it's the incarnate, the pre-incarnate Christ. In other words, Jesus came and was born of the Virgin Mary Some people think this is what they call a theophany, uh, um, a God sighting. That's a God sound, isn't it? Okay, I can't remember the name for it now in Greek. But they think it's a God sighting. It's, it's, It's the messenger of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, that sometimes we see this angel that is unlike any other angel in Old Testament accounts that many people think could have been the pre incarnate Christ third member of the Trinity who comes and, um, well, the second member of the Trinity who comes and and takes some kind of form. We'll go on. I'll tell you why I say that. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. It's because I saw God face to face. This basically means the face of God. Peniel is what it means in Hebrew. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Okay, 
Nice little history lesson, right? If you guys went home now, you'd have enough. But we will go on. This is a question I have for you. Have you ever been in a situation where you were on the brink of what you felt was disaster, maybe a financial disaster, maybe emotional disaster, relational disaster? And your resources are depleted. Jacob, at this point, is sending all sorts of gifts to his brother. Camels and goats and sheep and donkeys. And I mean, he sends like a king's ransom to his brother. If you read the text, it's amazing. He just sends them out ahead of him. Just trying to placate his brother's anger. So here he is on the brink of disaster, at wit's end, trying to make something happen, asking God for help, literally knelt down and prayed to God, asking for help. And then what does God do as an answer? He comes and beats the crap out of him. (laughs) Now, have you ever felt that way? That you... We're at the edge, the precipice of some great disaster in your life. Your resources are gone. You pray to God for help, and you're expecting Him to answer you, you know, with a check in the mail, with, you know, a beautiful spouse, with uh, a job to end all jobs. And instead... God comes and does the WWF thing with you. It's like holy smackdown time. (laughs) Boom! You're on the mat. And what is the response that we have when God does that to us? Very often it is, F you God, If this is the way you treat your people, I want nothing more to do with you. I am walking away. That's what's inside. But what did Jacob do? He held on for dear life. He would not let go. He did not give up in that sense. He did not give up hope that somehow through all of this, God would bless him in the middle of the most disastrous moment of his life. He hung on. Hoping against hope that God would somehow bless him. Hung on until his fingers and his knuckles were white. And there is the lesson of the story. Right there. Because that is how God deals with us. He wants to beat the crap out of us. He doesn't want to beat us up. He wants to beat 
the yucky stuff out of us. Because you see, Jacob is on the verge of the promised land. He's going back to everything that God has ever had for him. The promises from Abraham and from Isaac. And he's not ready to go back because he's still full of Jacob. And God has to get it out of him. And so Jacob's prayers are being answered, but not in the way that Jacob expects. C.S. Lewis says it this way in the Screwtape Letters, when God talks of their losing themselves, He means only abandoning the clamor of self-will. Once they have done that, He really gives them back all their personality and boasts that when they are wholly His, they'll be more themselves than ever. And C.S. Lewis's mentor, George MacDonald, put it even better, I think. There are victories far worse than defeats. And to overcome an angel too gentle to put out all his strength and ride away in triumph on the back of a devil is one of the poorest. I'm going to read that again. There are victories far worse than defeats. And to overcome an angel too gentle to put out all his strength and ride away in triumph on the back of a devil is one of the poorest. What if Jacob had won? Totally, 100%, the way Jacob wanted to win. What kind of man would he have been? What kind of people would he have made of his sons and his daughters? What kind of example would he have been for us in the faith? Not a very good one. Not a very good one, but there is, you know, C.S. Lewis says that the story, every story of conversion is a story of a blessed defeat. Because there are some victories that are worse than defeats. I'm just going to say this as a follower of Jesus, that Well, I'll say it now. You know, sometimes I get in struggles with people at church. They don't like what I'm doing. I don't like what they're doing. And let's, for this example, let's just say that I'm right in this particular case. Because that's not always the case. But let's pretend right now that I'm right. I don't always exercise all of my strength. I don't let them have it. I don't. Want to know why I don't let them have it? Because God didn't let me have everything I deserved either. He took it easy on me. He was too gentle with me to put out all of his strength The difference is, like Jacob, I cried uncle and asked for a blessing. 
And that's what I call walking with a limp. I have a a main point for this sermon. The main point is this. The best, most trustworthy, and godly leaders walk with a limp. They've been humbled by life and by God. And they lead out of Christ's strength rather than their own. The best, most trustworthy, and godly leaders walk with a limp. They've been humbled by life and by God. And they lead out of Christ's strength rather than their own. Okay, this goes for any leader. This goes for you. Because my hope is, is that if you're part of this body of believers, that God is growing you to be a leader of some kind. I mean, we're not all leaders in the church, because the church isn't all there is. But there are places where you work where they need leaders. And there are places where you go to school where they need leaders. And there are neighborhoods where you live where they need leaders. And there are causes out there that need leaders because no one is there to take up the cause. And what I'm trying to say is if you desire to be a leader of any kind, to affect good on the earth, to be God's man or God's woman, then you need to walk with a limp. And not lead out of your own strength, but lead out of Christ's strength. Otherwise, it's doomed to failure. I mean, you may get accolades, but God won't be impressed and people won't be helped very much. At least not as much as they could be. I think the first point underneath this that I want to make is that you should be a hall of shame person. That somewhere in the back of your head, there should be continual gallery of the things that you've done and the things that you have not done that cause you shame. I mean, when Jacob comes to the realization that he has wronged his brother, he's a hall of shame person. Hall of shame people are not puffed up. They're not proud. It's uh, amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. That's a hall of shame person. A hall of shame person doesn't try to impress you with all of his or her accomplishments in the Jesus. They'd rather talk about how they messed up how God came through for them. That's a hall of shame person. That's what Jacob was becoming as he crossed the Jabbok that night. Number two, you should be a though he slay me, yet will I hope in him person. Now, that's a line from the book of Job. Notice any similarities between the book of Job and the life of Jacob? Though he slay me, yet will I put my hope in him? I remember when uh, Eric Branch and his wife Jennifer were pregnant with their first child. 
She was a little older for having her first child, but they were so excited. And then that fateful day when there was premature bleeding and they went to the hospital and she miscarried. So, so difficult. It's like you prayed to God and he just came and beat the shit out of you. Eric talked about that experience like this. He said, we felt like we were pounding on God's chest, but still sitting in his lap. We knew he had us. We knew that he loved us. We had no place to go except for him, and we were so angry. And he let us pound on his chest while sitting in his lap. You should be a though he slay me, yet will I hope in him kind of person. I mean, this is what Jacob does in the middle of the wrestling match. He's beaten down and yet he says, I am not letting go. I'm not letting go. You've heard me talk about this kind of stuff, whether it's, you know, vocationally me waiting for all those years when I hated my life, work, or all the difficulties that Mary had and I had in in our young marriage. I mean, I felt like I was being in both of those things together, beaten up, but I had no place else to go except for God. And I have lived to tell the tale. And not only that, I've lived to sing God's praises for what he's done in both those areas of of my life. But if I had given up, giving God the finger or walked away, it would have been a whole different story. And number three... You should be a God's face-to-your-face kind of a person. A God's face-to-your-face kind of a person. And here's the interesting thing. C.S. Lewis has a book called Till We Have Faces, right? And, And the theme of that book is basically, how do you talk face to face with God when you don't have one yet? I mean, you can look in the mirror and you can see what your face looks like, right? But you can't see on the inside. You can't see your thoughts, your hidden motives. You can't see the stuff you've forgotten that you've done or haven't done. You see, Jacob had to wrestle with God the entire night before he had a face that was recognizable by God. Jacob needed to wrestle the entire night before he knew that his face was his real face. Little heel grabber. All grown up.
How much do you love Jesus? That's a weird question, I know. But you don't want to follow somebody who doesn't love Jesus with all of his or her heart, mind, and strength. You just don't. Someone who desires to see God's face for real. To be in this honest relationship. Transparent. The real me with the real God. That's the person you want to follow. That's the person you want to be. Because that's who people respond to. Not someone with the facade. And one of the reasons I have such a hard time watching Christian television is because I don't feel like I see very many real faces. I'll just be really honest with you. Get past the makeup and the hair, I don't know what's there. (laughs) Please, somebody tell me about who you really are. Because then I know maybe you've seen God for who He really is. And I want to see God face to face. And if you want to see God face to face, follow somebody who has been doing that. Seeing God face to face. Um, I'm kind of an anomaly. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but uh, I have, you know, been a guy much, much older than his congregation. When I go to conferences, I am the old dude. You know, we go to, you know, whether it's Future Gen, if I went to Catalyst, or, you know, if I was invited to Catalyst, if I was... uh, If I went to any of these other, I mean, most of the pastors would be people your age. And they're young, and they're good-looking, and they're exciting, and they're better speakers, and they got all this energy and zealousness, right? And they're, they're sprinting. They're sprinting to the goal line. But I know what's going to happen. Life is going to happen. And God is going to happen. And if God is faithful, they'll be limping the last several meters. Because that's what God does. I mean, don't get me wrong. I want you guys to be sprinters right now. I'm just trying to let you know what's ahead. You will not always be sprinters if God loves you. You'll be limpers. And that's cool. That's good. Because the Jacob we see at the end of his life, he's got some more years to live. I know. They lived a long time back then. Don't ask me to explain it. I think it's they ate like totally 100% organic food. And I think they, they knew where their cattle were being raised and there were no, like, fluorochemical, you know, plastic preservatives. I don't know why. The earth was younger. <laughs> it was magic. I don't know. But he lived quite a long time after this. And the Jacob we see in the latter part of his life, from this point on, is a much more godly, holy man than the one before. And honestly, that's what I want for... For me, and that's what I want for you.
You can read all the books you want about Christianity. You can go to all the conferences you want to go to. But what I want most for you is that one day you will have wrestled with the Almighty and just not totally given up. I don't want you to win because you won't. I just don't want you to give up. I'm not saying you have to have a huge moral failing to be qualified for leadership. Not at all. I'm just saying you've got to be aware of what's really going on inside. Like, remember the Apostle Paul? We've talked about him before here, right? <laughs> Pretty holy dude. All right? Planted churches, spread the gospel all over the world, performed miracles, knew the Bible backwards and forwards, wrote most of the New Testament, it seems. And uh, yet, at the end of his life, this guy says, of all the sinners, I'm the worst. I'm going, no, 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 no. No, you're not. Okay, because, yeah, I know you've done some stuff in the past, but I mean... No. But, you see, he felt that way. And isn't that true? When you find these old, seasoned saints, and you talk to them, and they tell you how much Jesus means to them, and how desperately wicked they are, you're going, but you're the coolest old lady I know. You're my Sunday school teacher. You made me chocolate chip cookies. You've never said a crossword in your entire life. What are you talking about? And then she cries when she tells you her conversion story. You see, that's what I want you to be like. And you won't be there unless you walk with a limp. The Apostle Paul walked with a limp. He knew who he was before God, just like his ancestor Jacob. We're going to have um, some folks in the back here to pray with you. Maybe there's a situation in your life right now where you feel like you're on the verge of the promised land and, and, and yet your life is just falling apart. And you feel like God is out to get you. If you're in that kind of situation right now, on the banks of the river Jabbok, then you make sure you go to that room over there when I'm done and find somebody to pray with. Because it's a very, very critical place you're in. You don't want to give up. You don't want to lose hope. You want to be the kind of person who ends up walking with a limp. Because those are the people who have been blessed by God. Those are the people who have been blessed by God. That's the kind of person I want to be. That's the kind of people I want you to be. Please pray with me. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the example of the patriarch Jacob. Lord, may scum of the earth, the people sitting in this room and the people listening to my voice right now, be characterized as people who walk with a limp, that the world may know that you are good. In Jesus' name, amen.